Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. Now, you started in, how did you get your itinerary? So, great question. I get asked this a lot. We, I did a ton of research up front where we wanted to go, you know, and we were traveling. We, again, the small backpack. So we didn't have, we didn't want to go to cold places. Also, we're from Canada. We don't, right. we didn't want to go to, yeah. we have enough experience with cold places. Okay. So we were mostly in warm weather places with the exception of almost one month in Nepal, because we did some climbing in the Annapurna mountains where we rented gear, but we knew we wanted to stay in warm weather places. So that kind of helped us dictate where we wanted to go. But all we booked was we booked one-way tickets to Portugal. So five one-way tickets to Portugal, and we had three nights booked. And after that, it was all planning as we went because we wanted to have the opportunity to be spontaneous, to stay somewhere if we found it interesting or if there was a festival going on or we met some cool people. But we also wanted to be in a position to get out if we didn't like it. So, for example, we were almost on our way to Sri Lanka and they had a dengue fever outbreak. Well, we're not going there. So, you know, we were able to be pretty agile. And I think that's a great way to travel. It's more work. You know, because I was always, we had laptops and I was researching where we're going to go next, but it was a real, you know, that's what makes it a real adventure. And this turned into a TED Talk for you. Yes, it did. It did. And what's that experience like? Had you done TED Talks before? I know you were a university lecturer for like, what, five years before that or something? Yeah. No, that was my first TED Talk. I actually just did another one last week, though. That will be coming up soon. Yes. So I've done two TED Talks now and I have also hosted. But my first TED Talk was what an experience. I would absolutely encourage anybody who's keen to learn. That's like the motherland of public speaking. And I just, I spoke about the trip. I spoke about the things that we learned, the five kind of things that we really learned and practiced and the importance of gritty travel, like to build grit, especially for our kids, right? Our kids are growing up in this very privileged environment, privileged society. Jen said, so how gritty tra- travel um, builds character. It was a great experience. They said, but it, you were, it was a talk on optimism. Is that right? Was that the last one? The last one was a talk on optimism okay, and goal setting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. And how did they come to you for a talk on optimism and goal setting? And well, what, I, again, I threw my hat in the ring. <laughs> oh, you did? You applied yeah. for that? Yes, I did. Yeah. And uh, was that the global or a local or a what? It was a local. So just outside of Toronto. Yep. It's called TEDx Aurora. And uh, I spoke about uh, goal setting. So the high achievement, like we started to talk about the believe in yourself, surround yourself with a good squad. The other three are be laser focused on your goals, have a bias for action, as I said. And the last part of that, of, of goal achieving to me is forget about reasonable goals. When I hear somebody say, well, set realistic goals, I'm like, absolutely not. Realistic goals are boring, a waste of time. They hold no magic. You need to set, I like the expression, BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's Jim Collins. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Those are only goals worth having are the big ones. So those are, that's my tenants. And that's what I spoke about in my uh, last TED Talk. Yeah. And the way I look at that, and you said the magic word, which is magic. Yes. The idea of a goal is to do something exciting that you want to do, you know, that you do ordinarily. And for that, 
you to do something that's a stretch, that's beyond your normal. You got to be able to remember it and stay focused. Like this whole thing about people who they come up and say, how do you stay focused? Well, I've got big things I'm going for. You know, it's like, how can it's kids don't forget that Christmas is coming. They don't, forget, <laughs> you know, they don't forget their birthday's coming and, you know, there's a chance to get a big present there. If something is big for you, you don't forget about it. And so the people, it's almost always the people are just going nowhere that ask you that question. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like, and the other thing is like, people always used to ask me, you know, why are you going for number one? You know, it's like going for number one or don't go, you know, that type of thing. And the thing is, I said, I've just never been able to get anybody excited about going for number two. And, (laughs) you know, it's like I can't get myself excited. I can't think of any new ideas. I can't push myself to go for number two. And the thing is that when you take the lesser goals, that's number two. Because in your mind, you have the number one goal, the big one. Mm-hmm. And when you take the lesser one, that's the number two goal or two, three, or four, or five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're planning for failure right off yeah. the bat. Like, yeah. you know, high achievers don't do that. And so when you you got in there, how did you climb the ladder in business? And what are you most mm-hmm. proud of what you did in your business career? What are some of the things mm-hmm. that your accomplishment there? Because, you know, to turn into, you were... You've been a university uh, lecturer since, what, 2015 or something like that? Yeah, took a hiatus during COVID, yeah. Yeah, so you've got to have some accomplishments to attract attention from somebody to get come in and teach the next generation about how to do it in business. So what are some of those achievements that, you know, you really got you excited? Mm, Great question. I think I I mentioned to you, or we talked about uh, briefly, that I became a creative director when I was 40. And that was a time, so I'd taken several years off work to raise children. So in yeah. Canada, when you have a baby, you get one year maternity leave. So I had three babies almost in a row. So I was off work for essentially about five years, which is a long time in, in marketing and advertising, yeah. especially in the digital age when things are moving so quickly. And when I went back to work, I didn't even dream that I could become a creative director. It was not even in the cards. I thought this Explain is you know, creative director for those. Oh, who are with it. Explain creative director. Don Draper. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the person in charge of the creative department in an advertising agency. Yeah. So I just didn't have that on, on my dream list. It was not on my vision board. And through a series of events, I was offered the opportunity and it was for a great agency in Toronto. We had really big clients. I was uh, delighted to get it. And it was at a time when only 3% of creative directors in Canada were women. So it was a great, what a wonderful honor it was to get that. And I had an amazing team. We had big budgets. We won awards. We, I got to travel. But, and here's the big, of course, there's a big but. The higher up that ladder I climbed, the further yeah. away from my purpose I felt. Ah. This was really important. I wasn't, I was coming home at night and not feeling like myself. I wasn't feeling like I, we mentioned earlier, like I was serving people, like I was helping people. And my big North Star, my North Star always is leave things better than you found them. Yeah. And I wasn't feeling like that, Larry. So there was, I had a, an aha moment and it was this, one of our biggest clients was a pop, soda pop and salty snacks company will remain nameless. And I found out that on staff, they had someone who specifically was there to analyze when working moms felt the most guilty. 
because that's when we could sell them the really sweet soda pop and the really salty snacks. So I couldn't believe that we were exploiting these working moms. This did they're vulnerable. They feel guilty. I was one of them. And I just thought, this is not for me. This is not the line of work I want to be in. I'm not helping anybody. I don't sleep at night. So after that, I actually resigned that week. And yes, I did. And since then, I have only worked in entrepreneurship. I've had a few startups myself. I've been a partnership. I've been on small teams. And now I I work coaching women in entrepreneurship. So Uh the thing I'm most proud of was leaving that cush job to go into the unknown, but I was following my purpose. Well, explain to people what it's like when you're working with big players like Starbucks, Coke, General Motors, et cetera. What is that like in terms of you had to learn too, you'd never done it before. So it had to be an eye opener for you. The things that you wound up doing, you know, beyond the unpleasant type things is just the scale of it and the magnitude of dealing with companies like that and the impact you could have there. What did you learn that allowed you to excel? Well, there's certainly a lot of hard skills that I learned, but I think a lot of one of the best skills I learned, and I would say to anybody who wants to to learn some skills in almost any field, almost any field, learn to public speak, learn to speak for yourself, learn to advocate, learn to pitch an idea. My gosh, learning to pitch an idea is gold. It's gold. I mean, there's uh, Chris Voss. He's uh, got an institute called the Black Swan Institute. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. Power Uh of Persuasion, FBI negotiator. He's just, he's excellent, excellent. I've read everything. I follow him. He's wonderful. And uh, learning to sell your idea, sort of like a Dale Carnegie, Chris Voss uh, across, is very, very important. So that's something that I learned to do. And that's probably one of the reasons that I became a successful creative director is I could go into a room filled with people and sell an idea. And how did you learn how to do that? When you go into that room, what are you thinking? Probably you got yourself programmed before you go in the room. But anyway, you go in, what are you thinking? And what's the first thing you're thinking? What's the second thing? And then what do you work yourself through? And then we're done. How would you negotiate those type experiences? Well, first thing, I again, back to like fake it till you make it. I visualized myself having an alter ego. This yeah. is a life hack for confidence. This is such yeah. a good life hack for confidence. If you don't feel confident or you're feeling nervous, picture that you have an alter ego. So Beyonce, as an example, has an alter ego. When she goes on stage, she's in Beyonce. She's Sasha Fierce. And Kobe <laughs> Bryant, when he went onto the court, he was Black Mamba, Yeah, right? Black. You can have an alter ego that makes yeah. you more confident, more unstoppable, more fierce, more powerful. So I don't have a name for my alter ego, but I really did think about stepping into a role, like putting on an invisible cape, a superhero and being like, okay, now I am so confident. I'm going to pitch this idea. They are going to love it. I'm going to make eye contact with them. And at the end of it, they're going to thank me. So, you know, so setting an intention, being really confident, power posing in advance. I love all that stuff. I, I buy into it completely. But also, how did I learn how to do it? I read, I researched, I listened to podcast after podcast after podcast, Zig Ziglar, all the best. If I don't know what to do, I'm going to go and learn from the best. If yeah. I can talk to them face-to-face, fantastic. If there's somebody, yeah. you know, but that's how I learn. And then I practice, practice, practice. Okay. So let's get past that point now. You're doing it. You're walking in. And, you know, I used to tell people when I'd, uh, we'd have big events and you'd have a new speaker 
they're not used to being up in front of the crowd or something. I'd always tell them, fire bullets, don't fire blanks, you know. <laughs> and how did that go? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, yeah. It just got them out of their mind of going up there, tippy toeing up, you know. And yeah. the one thing I would always do is tell myself, smile, you know, dead go. <laughs> yeah. You know, the basic, simple things. Get yourself, mm-hmm. you know, go in with energy, smile, let them know you're glad to be there. Don't go up a pile. It's like in golf. You know, you've always got to swing to and through the ball. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. Alex Rodriguez said his pitching coach that he had early in his career, the, the advice was always swing with momentum and ex- accelerate through the ball, accelerate through contact. Don't go up and then like, oh, maybe it's not going to be good. You know, no, yes. go ahead. Squat, you know, it's like swatting a fly with a fly swatter. You don't, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the fly if yeah. you're, I don't know. You got to zing him, you know? And so that's one thing when you're going in, you got to project that this is going to be great. But yes. what are you trying to do? What would you get to where you were trying to do? And you were, you got good at it. You want to get everybody in your side. You want to get their interest. And so would you, Try and come up with some, right off the bat, some statistics. Uh, Try and have some things to disturb them or to, I'm sure your first thing you did was not tell a corny joke or something, but (laughs) what would you go in there to try and establish rapport with that crowd? Well, if I could tell a joke, honestly, Larry, I would. I think I have a good sense of humor in that I think things are funny, but I'm not funny. But sometimes I think I'm funny, but I'm not. So I never led with a joke. I also don't typically lead anything by introducing myself and thanking them for being there. Like, that's fine. That'll come later. But I think right now you've got a very short window of time to establish credibility and to really hook your audience. So if you have 12 people around a boardroom table or a TED audience, really that the principles are the same, hook them right away. And you hook people with stories. You can have facts and data and stats to back it up, but hook people with stories. So I like the structure When you enter them, you tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Yeah. Right? We know that that works. That's a proven way of doing things. And so that's the approach I took, and and I led with stories. I led with emotion. Yeah. Well, you know, you were naturally real good at this early on when you had basically a presentation to the club med people over the phone. You hooked them right (laughs) right off the bat. So I think you've got a propensity for doing that. And, you know, it's just like some people can figure that out. Some people can't. But obviously it has taught you well. When you got in front of college students, you're saying, "Okay, I'm going to teach them about business. What do you find yourself talking about? So one of the reasons that I was a professor there, I wasn't a professor, I was on the constant rotation. So I was a guest speaker, essentially, but on a regular rotation. And what they liked about me is I had real world experience. So professors in marketing often have been professing about marketing for a long time, which is obviously very valuable. And there's just a ton that you can learn there. But also, it's so exciting for students to talk to somebody who's actually in the field, right? Who's living real-time experiences. So often, the students I was teaching were more educated than me. Some of them were my age or because they were graduate students. These are people studying their master's. So I was on my toes. I'll tell you, I was on my toes because the questions were dazzling. These were, you know, I was always marveled at the uh, at the level of sophistication of the questions that I was asked. This is at York University in Toronto in the Schulich program. So a very esteemed business program. 
yeah, it was really all about, uh, I was teaching marketing for entrepreneurs. And That's so my favorite thing to talk about. So when, uh, what would be a kind of question you'd get that really made you think that you can recall for, or can you recall where they would. A lot of the questions that were really clever were about intent. You know, uh-huh. we're about intent. So when you did this or when your company did this, what was the intention? What was the hope? What was the aspiration? What were the risks you took? They were pretty astute questions along those lines. And uh, so it wasn't, it was big idea questions, yeah. not like minutia, tactical things. Yeah. It was nothing in the weeds. It was always like pretty brilliant stuff. And that's, that's, leaders want that kind of question. So it was a rewarding experience. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.